Good morning, you guys. It's so good to be with you. Um, so, in case you already didn't know this, do you see that really handsome guy right there? Yeah, in just less than three months, I get to marry him. Yeah! And you guys, it is so great, and it's so exciting, and it's so fun. But... I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice since, you know, I've been receiving a lot of that lately. <laughs> and it's, if you aren't married yet, don't do it. Yeah, you knew. You knew where I was going. <gasps> uh, don't do it. Just don't. And I'm not talking about the married part. I'm honestly very excited to marry him. But, you know, I'm not convinced about the wedding yet. <laughs> I'm just not convinced. <laughs> because, you know, people talk about elopement, and I was like, that's so dramatic. But yesterday, I was like, Jonathan, do you want to elope? <laughs> Honestly. And this is the thing. You probably already know this. But weddings, weddings are filled with people. And people are complex and messy and so weddings, what are they? They are complex and messy. Yay! <laughs> the good news is, Jonathan and I are great, and also you as a church have been so loving and so wonderful, so it's not you guys, don't worry. Um, but this season has honestly been difficult in a lot of unexpected ways. And as I was preparing for this morning, I kind of thought, you know, maybe I should share a little bit about this or something related to it, because I think I need this message as much as maybe, or even more than all of you. And you know, just, you know this, right? But the arguments are never about the color of the napkin. It's like so much stuff underneath. I just want to point that out. So if, if you are getting married in soon, or you think you might get married soon, I'm just, I'm just trying to prepare you a little bit. <laughs> Now, I know some, some of you in this room aren't married or aren't preparing to get married, so I'm not going to make it all about that, I promise. Um, but instead, I just kind of want to, I said, draw attention to some of the things that maybe have been surfacing that made me realize more, a lot more about myself and my family and my friends and my life. I know that last week, Pastor John talked about anxiety. And, you know, he says that next week he's going to start the series on anxiety, but I'm just going to keep moving us through it. You know, he didn't know I was going to pick up on the series, but I'm going to. I'm going to keep riding that train. And he told us that a lot of times, you know, when we have something really big or something that's making us anxious in our life, we try to take it and we want to hide it or we want to run from God. We don't want to show it to God. And at the end of this sermon, I don't know if you remember this, if you were here, he had us write down things that are making us anxious, and we put the piece of paper in the shredder here, and it kind of symbolized the fact that we were sending our anxious thoughts and our petitions to God, which is great, because <laughs> one of the words I wrote down was the wedding. Um, but I wonder this morning, what did each of you write? And also, if you're anything like me, I wonder, I wonder if this week, I wonder if this was you. Just gonna try to put this back together really quick so I can figure it out. Come on, God. 
Was anybody, anyone else in the room? Anyone, please tell me. I mean, you guys might be like the super righteous holy type, but for me, I know I went digging in the shredder trying to figure out my life because I think that sometimes surrendering our very complicated lives to God is kind of a, like a daily, hourly thing. This morning, I'm going to spend time in one of my favorite stories of the Bible because I think it's just really intense. <laughs> and it's about two women, Hagar and Sarah. Some of you may know who they are, some of you may not. And you know, I like to really talk about them because I think usually when we talk about godly and strong women of the Bible, we go to three women. We talk about Proverbs 31 woman. Mm-hmm. I heard some hmm. <laughs> We talk about Esther and we talk about Ruth. Now, this is not to say that they're not godly women because they are, but we talk a lot about um, just them. And I would like to talk about Hagar and Sarah. And by the way, I'll say Sarai sometimes because her name gets changed. Also, Abraham is her husband, and his name is Abram or Abraham, depending on at what point of the story we are in because God changes their name. So just know that if I'm, say, Sarai or Sarah, it's the same person and Abram and Abraham, same person. So as we read today and we, and we kind of jump into the story, I think it'll be really easy for us to kind of judge these women. We might not think they're the most godly based off of some of the decisions and choices they make, but I hope by the end of our time we'll be like, yeah, they are pretty godly women. So, like I said, we'll be spending time in Genesis 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but also it's going to be on the slide, so no stress if not. Um, for context, Hagar is essentially Sarah's handmaid, which was a servant or a slave in that time. If you remember, Abraham is considered the father of our faith. So God actually goes to Abraham and Sarah, and he promises him and his wife that they will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. He's basically telling him, like, you are going to have a child of promise. There's just one very tiny problem, and it's that they're both really old, and Sarah is not getting pregnant. And so it's at this point in the story that we find out that Sarah has actually taken her handmaid, Hagar, and given her handmaid, Hagar, to her husband, spend the night with him, and she's hoping that he will then, she will get pregnant and they will have a child through Hagar. And for us, that's kind of weird. It's like, why would she ever give, like, a woman to her husband for her husband to essentially cheat on her? That doesn't make any sense in our current context. But we have to know about this time and place in history is that a woman's entire status entire status and her entire worth was wrapped up in whether or not she could bear children. And for, for Sarah, this was huge. Truly everything worthwhile depended upon it. And you know, for some of you in this room, I think it actually might be still somewhat of a symbol of worth for you. Some of the women or men too, whether or not you guys can have children. I know that some of my mentors and friends have either had miscarriages or have um, been unable to get pregnant. It's one of those things that I learned as I've gotten older, like it's not always easy for people to get pregnant. And it's been very painful and it's brought a lot of shame. And at points, um, I know some of my friends have struggled with that feeling of being unworthy. 
For others of you in this room, that thing that makes you feel like you are, have worth, even though you're like, no, it's only the Lord, but there is still things that we struggle with with feeling our worth in, is maybe um, that really good job that you feel like you're supposed to have so that you'll feel successful. Or maybe it's security or safety, or maybe it's um, your children, or maybe it's that, um, that you're really funny and everyone always thinks you're funny. I don't know what it is, but whatever that thing is for you, know that childbearing was that thing for Sarah. And it even makes it more difficult considering the fact that she was told by God that she was going to have a kid. So as I was trying to think, like, okay, what is this equivalent to in our common day? It's like if you go to a job interview for a job that you know is going to like bring you a lot of goodness, right? Like it's your dream job. Everyone in your social circle is going to think you're going to be awesome once you get it. You go to the interview. You nail the interview. You're like, I have got it. And then at the end of the interview, they offer you the job. They're like, you are exactly what we want. We'll be calling you in a few days. You've got the job. You go home and a day passes and then three days passes, and then a week, and then three months, and you're like, uh, why have they not called me to tell me my start date? I'm getting a little anxious. So you might be tempted to then try to find a new job, or call them, or like find out from your friend if they know why you haven't gotten called about your start date. I mean, that's kind of where Hagar, not Hagar, she comes in a little bit, Abraham and Sarah are at. They're in this really weird, like liminal space of waiting. Another thing to pay attention to is that in that time, um, even though Abraham would have had the child with Hagar, it was a common belief that basically because Sarah was the mother of the household and she had power in the home, the child would technically be considered hers. So even though it wouldn't, she wouldn't be actually the one having the child, it would have been considered her child. And so we can, to some extent, understand why Sarah would do this, right? Like, if it doesn't matter who has the baby, as long as she has the baby, who cares, right? So for her, that's where she's potentially thinking. I mean, I'm not her, but I get in her head, that's what I'm thinking. But I also want to pause and say, like, how painful must have this been for Hagar? Think about it. She had zero choice in the matter. She was given over, and then she's not even going to be able to raise this child and call this child her own. For maybe some of you in the room, maybe, you know, you've been pregnant and you've had a child and you've had to give the child away. So for some of you, maybe this feels very real and it kind of hits close to home. But the story tells us that Hagar does get pregnant And in fact, um, it also tells us then she begins to look on her, uh, oh my gosh, mistress, no, not mistress, that's the wrong phrase, her master, Sarah, with contempt, which in layman's terms, she had zero R-E-S-P-E-C-T for her. So I also, like, don't blame her because one, she was given away, and I mean, we could, it's a strong term, but say that she was raped. I'm sure that was not her choice to be with Abraham. And two, she doesn't even get the chance to call the child her own. So it makes sense she starts to have a little bit of attitude. But what's complicated about this story is that it's really easy for me, some points, to villainize Sarah. But as I just shared, 
there's some valid reasons about why she makes this choice. I mean, once again, her entire worth in this society is wrapped up in whether or not she can have a child. And so she mistakenly takes a situation under her own control, and as most things happen when we try to control something, is it still doesn't work out for the best for us. So she's in this spot where now her servant is disrespecting her. So what does she do? She goes to her husband, and she's like, Abraham, what do I do? She has said Abram because his name wasn't changed yet. Um, and <laughs> you know what he does? Just anybody wonder? He tells her to deal with it. I'm like, what? <laughs> you were with this woman and you can't have a conversation with her? I mean, I would have had so much attitude. But <laughs> she doesn't. It's then, unfortunately, that it, the text says that Sarah began to mistreat Hagar. And Hagar runs away. Now here is the part that we're really going to slow down into. We're actually going to read the Bible. It's not just my fun, I try, my interpretation of it. I mean, it's still the scripture, don't worry. Um, but now we're going to actually read some scripture. And this is the part I really want us to slow down to because I think it is our message for the morning. And I think it's going to hopefully be helpful for some of us. And so we're going to do it with my, a motto that I literally probably will say on every sermon for the rest of my life. And it comes from my, one of my mentors, which some of you may know him, Bob Ramsey. Yay, Bob. Um, yeah, we love Bob. <laughs> and he always says, and it's my favorite, the Bible likes you and thinks you're smart. Which I love that. It's just so empowering. And so this morning, I think it's a reminder that when we spend time with these characters and we really slow down and we read scripture and we just try to put ourselves in these characters' shoes, we get to notice a lot of different things. So hopefully we'll notice a lot of good stuff today. So, Genesis 16. We're going to jump in at verse 7. So Hagar has run away and God meets her. So it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. It goes. Technology. Technology. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Maybe that was the next part. Oh, goodness gracious. You guys, thanks for being so gracious with me. Okay. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live at odds with all his kin. 
So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are Elroy, for she said. You are the God who sees me. Now, one of the very first things I notice about this passage is the fact that God comes to Hagar at all. I mean, in that context, she is a runaway, pregnant slave. Also, there are a variety of passages in Scripture where it says that an angel of the Lord comes to someone, and he announces that there's going to be a future pregnancy, future conception. This is the only account in all of Scripture where God comes to someone after they have already conceived. Which is pretty amazing to think that with this woman, God is willing to do about anything to get to her, even if he doesn't usually work that way. We know that not only God meets Hagar, but that he actually meets her in a very personal way. You might have noticed that the very first thing he does is name her. He says, Hagar. He calls her by her name. And then he asks her a question. Now, I imagine she's a slave, right? So most of her life, she's probably heard a lot more commands than questions. So God starts with her with a question. And he says to her, where have you come from and where are you going? And so I think it's amazing that he asked her this because he also says, like, Hagar, maidservant of Sarai. So he knows her history, which means that she can't lie to him. She kind of has to be honest with herself for a moment. It requires her to fully acknowledge where she is. I kind of like to imagine it's like God takes out this map in front of her and a compass, and he's like, hey, Hagar, let's just stop for a second. We're going to orient ourselves because otherwise you might get really, really lost. He is asking her to consider her past, where she has come from, so that maybe, just maybe, she might have a better future. I know that there are probably some of you, maybe all of you, in this room who have some complicated histories. Um, I know in counseling we talk about it as maybe your family of origin or um, childhood wounds, or maybe it's even just wounds from choices you've made or not made. And so the question I want you to hear today is, where have you come from? I think it's a really important one this morning. While you maybe took your anxious situation to the shredder last week, the reality is you woke up with the same family, the same friends, the same job, the same things that you dealt with on Sunday when you woke up. And it's easy for us to do exactly what I just said, and instead of, once again, presenting it to God to try to go through the paper shredder or to hide it from him or to run or to hide in general, kind of like Hagar does. The good news is the next part of the text is where I think we find some of our answers. Um, but if I'm being honest... The first time I, like, the first, like, 15 times I read through this, 
I was a little bit frustrated because I don't know if you remember, but do you notice that God tells her, Hagar, return to your mistress Sarai and submit to her. First time I read that, I was like, are you serious, God? Why would you ever send her back? That makes zero sense to me. We are a church, and and as Christians, we talk about the fact that God delivers us, that he frees us. Why would you ever send her back into this really complicated situation? And then it hit me, ugh. God sends her back because he never wants us to run from our problems. He also knows, though, that his faithfulness and his character will be with her. And if you think about it, if I were her, I would have been like, you want me to, you want me to do what? You want me to go back? No, that's not a good idea. Why, God? Why would you have me go back? But how does she respond? What does she say? She says that. That's what she calls him. So it's clear that in her encounter, that she feels seen, she feels known, she feels loved, and she has the courage to return. Now, I have to do like a huge caveat, like very, very loud and clear. If there's nothing you hear today, it's this. The last thing I would ever want any of you to hear is that you're supposed to go back to like an abusive relationship. I know there may be some of you in this room that have experienced that, and that is the last thing I would ever want you to hear from this message. So that's my big caveat. Instead, I'm just wanting you to ask the question, where have I come from? I want you to hear God ask you that question. Where have you come from? I want us to get curious about our emotions and our reactions to things, to consider the fact that maybe some of our choices are made because of past wounds or maybe because of some learned behavior. I think that every time I preach at Living Spring or anywhere, I always talk about Brene Brown. Some of you maybe know who she is. She's amazing. She is a writer and an, um, well, an author. I was going to say writer, author. Clearly, same thing. She's an author. She's a social psychologist. um, And she is really known for her work on shame and vulnerability. If you ever want to get just like a little sliver of what Brene Brown is like, look up her TED Talk on shame and vulnerability. And she is wonderful, and I have a huge friend crush on her. I would love to have coffee with her one day. Pray that the Lord brings that to me. And she talks in her book on braving the wilderness, which is all about belonging, about getting curious about her emotions. She talks about how important that is to ask, where is, so why am I reacting this way? And also to get curious about other people and their reactions, which, and their actions, which I think what I'm trying to do this morning with Sarah and Hagar. I'm trying to have us get curious about these, these women in the Bible to try to understand them a little bit better. She says this great quote, and I love it. People are hard to hate close up. Move in. Whoo! <laughs> okay, fine, fine, Brene. <laughs> And I think this phrase teaches us how to embrace who we are, our past, and also who others are. 
And when I really reflect on my own life, I have found that it's when I embrace my past and the people in it, and I invite God into that, I truly invite him into that, that he does some of his best work. It's when I face things that I don't think God can heal or fix that I find him doing such amazing things. I share this often, and I've shared it in a couple other settings before, but I think it is one of the most, like, I will probably cry. (laughs) One of the most tender things for me. And one of the most beautiful things that I think God has done in my life. So my parents have been divorced since I was two months old, so I was very little. Um, And something that I've done in probably like the past like six, seven, eight years is try to kind of go back in a sense. So how has this impacted me? How does this affect the way that I treat others or treat myself? Um, And I realized that one of the kind of wounds I have is that most like major holidays and birthdays and things like that wasn't spent with both parents. It was always kind of split. And as God helped me kind of look at that, one time near my birthday, I had this idea that it has to be from God because I am not this smart. And he said, why don't, and my parents obviously been divorced for what, 27 years, so it's, this isn't weird, but he's, I felt like he said, why don't you ask your parents if they would have dinner with you on your birthday, just the two of them. Because my parents are awesome and so gracious, they both agreed to it. And so for about three years, every birthday, I would get to have dinner with my two parents. And I can't tell you how healing that was and how freeing that was and how meaningful that was. Remember how I said that I would hope we would see Hagar and Sarah as godly women in the Bible? I said this because I think when we ask ourselves, we let God truly ask us, where have you come from? we find ourselves in a posture of learning. And it's always in that place that healing happens. I was talking with a friend about relationships the other day, and she was talking about how, um, as she has gotten to know her boyfriend, that some of the things that, you know, because people talk about like the honeymoon phase, I think it happens the opposite. Maybe that was just me. Love you. (laughs) But like at the beginning, there was things that I was like, what the heck? As you get to know someone, you start to see why those actions are the way they are. As you get to know their family, as you get to know their past, you start to see those things as no longer challenges or difficult things, but instead as like these wounds that can be healed. That's why I think she says people are hard to hate close up, move in, because of that. As I look at Sarah and Hagar, I can't help but see that these characters, these women, are simply a snapshot of you and me. And they are a picture of our own messy and complicated lives. If you get curious about them and their actions, and maybe even give them the most gracious interpretation possible, we see them differently. If you even think about it, I think one of Sarah's greatest faults in this story is that she takes advantage of Hagar 
for her own protection. I don't know if you remember, but earlier on in Genesis, her husband Abraham takes advantage of her to protect himself when he lies about the fact that she's his wife. He told the Egyptians that, no, she's my sister because he was afraid that they were going to kill him because she was so pretty to try to take her. In a way, maybe some of her action is learned behavior. For Hagar, I think that God asked her to return, even if she doesn't have all the answers. I know I would be afraid that I was going to be mistreated again, and yet we have to trust the Lord in that. I think he sometimes asks us to return to our circumstances, even if we don't know all the details. And even when we don't know really how people will respond to the fact that we're kind of returning to something, maybe to a topic that we shoved under the rug for a long time or a family wound that we don't want to uncover. Some people won't. We don't know how they're going to react to us returning. But Hagar has to trust that God sees and knows Sarah and her story just like he sees and knows Hagar. The really, really, really good news this morning is that it appears that God shows up in both of these characters' lives, and he shows up in yours and mine too. And if we jump back in the passage, we will actually remember that God tells Hagar that just like Abraham will have descendants as far as as many as those in the sky, he tells Hagar that he will greatly increase her offspring. He's inviting her in to the promise. And being a child of the promise is like a really, really, really big deal. I mean, think about like the person you would want to be their kid. Like it would be the coolest person in the world that if you were their kid. For me, Beyonce's twins are so lucky. They are the luckiest ever. I mean, she's so awesome. She's just like a powerhouse. So it must be awesome to be her, her twins. So forever, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, that would be awesome. Try to think like way better than that. I know it's hard to put God into our silly brains, um, but yeah. And so this morning, I think God might be asking some of you to return. Maybe return to something you have run from. And maybe that looks like, because as I said, I would, the last thing I would ever advocate is for someone to return to something that is um, maybe going to be like literally harmful. Um, but instead, maybe return by going, setting up a counseling appointment when you've never done that before. Or talking to a trusted friend or mentor or today we're actually going to have time after service if, if people want to come up or during service for prayer. Maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks like calling a family member and giving them the most gracious interpretation possible. Believing the very best in them. The really good news is that we don't serve a God who's going to leave us when we ask ourselves or when he asks us the question, where have you come from? 
And I believe it's because of Jesus' Christ's willingness to come to us. We are all brought in to the same promise that he gave Hagar and Sarah and Abraham. I believe that maybe if we, if we do this, if we return in some way, and we allow God to ask us the question, where have you come from? We might be able to begin to embrace the fact that we have wounds, we all do, but that they do not have to have power over us. And I don't know if you remember earlier when I said that I think the reason God had Hagar return is so that she wouldn't run from her problems. I think that's partially true. But what I actually think is that God's original plan was always for Hagar to be free. If you keep reading, you will see that this time after Hagar returns, she actually gets kicked out of the house, which is heartbreaking. And yet, if you really think about it, she was actually free this time instead of a slave on the run. So I always think God's plan is for freedom. And so, as the worship team comes back up, I leave you with the same question that God asked Hagar. He says to me, Rihanna, where have you come from and where are you going? He says, Cece, where have you come from and where are you going? He says, Becky, where have you come from and where are you going? He says, Pat, where have you come from and where are you going? He says to all of us, where have you come from and where are you going? And so as you hear God ask you that question, what is coming up for you? We talked about anxiety last week, but I think that maybe some of our anxieties are there because of our past and where we have come from. As you sit with God in this, remember that he sees you and he knows you. And his plan for you will always be freedom. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to invite, ooh, I did that wrong, didn't I? It's okay, the worship team? Perfect. <laughs> We're doing communion today too, so I thought I messed it up for a second. I'm going to pray for us. Okay. Um, God, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you for the fact that you uh, see us, and you don't see any of even our bad choices as bad choices, but you just see them as wounds that you desire to heal. And so, God, would we come to you, would we not run from you, would we come to you and have the courage to maybe return to things that we know 
we've been running from for a long time. And God, I pray that you would give us your strength and that you would free us from the power that these wounds maybe have had over us so that we could find true freedom and true healing and that we could step into a future that is, that is full of your providence, Lord, and your love for us. Pray that you are with each one of these individuals in this room, God, and that you would be speaking to them right now. I know that you already are. We love you, God. Amen. Amen.